opportunity again of being here. And as you know, we're looking very slowly at the book of Jeremiah. So we're going to go back there today and read some verses, first of all from chapter 5 and then from chapter 6. So uh, Jeremiah chapter 5 and just the last verse of that chapter. Very unusual text. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? And then our main reading from chapter 6 and verse 16 through to 20. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, O nations, observe, O witnesses, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. And this is the first of the great discourses which Jeremiah brings to the, the people of Judah, just telling them what will happen in the future. Because they, they had an exaggerated notion that nothing could happen to them because, after all, they were the people of God. They were the people who had been selected to carry God's name on the earth. And so they had this sense of arrogance. And throughout their history, they had expected all along that God would continue to rescue them. During the days of the judges, much earlier in their history, when they had sinned against God and lost their way, God brought them into some sort of temporary bondage to various nations around. And then he raised up for them a judge, and the judge brought them back to God. He was that sort of judge. And as they came back to God, God restored them and brought blessing to the land again. And this had become ingrained in their consciousness. They assumed that God would always act thus and there wouldn't be a period of extended judgment as far as they were concerned. We know from the history that follows the end of the book of Jeremiah that for 70 years, the bulk of the nation was carried away into Babylon and there they served the Chaldeans for three generations. And when they came back to Jerusalem, 
only about 42,500 of the people returned. And it was from that remnant eventually that the Lord Jesus Christ was born because it was important that God fulfill his word to the nation and bring a deliverer to them who not only acted to restore them in a physical sense to the country as far as they were concerned, but he acted to bring them salvation and forgiveness. So you have a, a sort of potted history during the last 700 years or so that the Old Testament covers. When I was first in England, I came to teach in Hungerford in Berkshire. Hungerford is in a little corner of Berkshire, just up on the northwestern edge of it. And when I was there, I used to travel quite a bit and discovered for the first time in my life, because most of the railways in Northern Ireland had been closed during the 60s, but discovered for the first time, time in my life unmanned, ungated level crossings. Do you remember them? No gates, no manned, but there was a huge notice on each of them. Can any of you remember what it said? We've all got short memories, haven't we? It said, stop, look, listen. Stop, look, and listen. And it's around that that I want to build our thinking this morning. Because you will notice in verse 31 of chapter 5, as we read it together, that the last phrase is, but what will you do in the end? What will you do in the end? These folk had decided that they wanted their prophets to prophesy lies, and they wanted their priests to rule by their own authority. They didn't really want to have anything to do with God, to put it bluntly. They were in a situation and circumstance that they had decided, as I suppose we have in this country in recent days, to do our own thing, that our own opinion was the most important, it was the most significant, and that the significance of what God said was not really to be countenanced. And there was this sort of arrogance that I've already mentioned, and the only question that the God, the God of glory asks is, but what will you do in the end? If you're going to live this way, if you're going to live choosing that the prophets prophesy lies and you're going to have the priests ruling by their own authority, how's it going to finish up? What will you do in the end? And why do the people love it this way? Well, I said yes to you. It's because they had no um, sort of accountability. They could live as they like and live as they choose, make their own rules, decide what they wanted to believe and what they wouldn't believe. Does that sound familiar? Is that not what our country has come to in recent days? In the last generation or so, everybody makes up their own rules, choose what makes up marriage, choose what makes up family, and decide that's the way they're going to live. And that's the way we love it. Because we're not answerable, we're not accountable but what will we do in the end? 
where is it all going to finish up? The scripture says that things will wax worse and worse until the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Lying prophets are no use because they have no authority. They're just telling things to make it seem uh, comfortable for the people that they're addressing. And the fact that we delight in it, why has it come to this? But what will we do in the end? Where's it all going to lead? So in a sense, we're at a sort of crossroads. And for the people of God in Jeremiah's time, that was exactly where they were. And we read what God said in response to this particular line of thinking as we read those verses from chapter 6. And I'm going to just touch on them very briefly this morning so that we can just get our heads around a few principles. The first thing that God says is, stand at the crossroads and look. Stop and look. Stop and look. We come to various points in our lives where it's significant that we stop and think and stop and look and stop and evaluate where our lives are going and what's happening within them. And I was interested in the illustrations that we had this morning from Desmond, the, the various people who wrote these particular songs, and the fact that they arose at a point of crisis in their lives, where they were just stopping and thinking, spending time evaluating, just wondering what was being worked out. There's a little verse in Scripture which I've always found both significant and difficult. It's this, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Jill would tell you I'm not very good at waiting for anybody, even when I'm driving, or maybe especially when I'm driving. But this whole business of waiting on the Lord I have always found difficult. And there's been times when the Lord has introduced pauses into my life one of them very recently, when I had no option but to wait and wait on the Lord and try to discover and redecipher what the Lord was trying to teach me during those periods of enforced stoppage. Wait on the Lord. Or here, stand at the crossroads and look. We used to have a junction uh, on the way up to where our original church was in Northern Ireland. And there were no road signs on the junction. There wasn't any lines on the road. The main road, or the, what we call the back road to Belfast, was the one that went straight on. And the ones that went up to the place of worship where we worshipped went left. Where my uncle lived went right. And back the way we came went back to Newton Arts. And nobody ever stopped at the crossroads. It was blind on the Belfast side of the crossroads. And I had an Uncle Nat, who wasn't overly endowed with intelligence, as I will demonstrate to you. And he used to approach this crossroads driving as quickly as he could, so it would only be in the crossroads for a very brief instant. <laughs> and his logic was, if I went quick enough, 
it wouldn't, the person who was coming the other way wouldn't be able to hit me. And it worked for the whole of his life. But it wasn't a very good system. And it used to scare the life out of me when I was with him in the car. As he flew across this blind crossroads, always assuming that whoever was coming the other way would stop. Foolish. It's important to stop, especially when God says it. Stop at this crossroads and look. And then ask a question. Ask for the ways that used to work. The ways that kept the people safe. The ways that brought the people blessing. The ways that brought the direction of God into folks' lives. Ask for the ancient ways. It doesn't mean ancient in the sense of times past, but it means ancient in the sight, in the sight of God, those things that have always been. You know, it, it's very easy to lose sight of God and the busyness of life. In fact, we're probably very good at doing just that. How rarely we take stock and ask the question, well, is God really in control of my life? Am I really trusting him? Or is it just a formula I repeat? Yeah, I've committed my life to the Lord, but that means surely that he must have control over right now. If he does bring, doesn't bring direction to my life today, how am I going to know his direction in my life? So it has an immediacy, this statement. Ask for the ancient ways. Ask for the ways of God. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Be sensible. Once you get your head straight and begin to evaluate and you begin to think, well, how did it used to be? How was I conscious of God in my life? And then there's this really wonderful statement. And you will find rest for your souls. I suppose if I was asked to define the particular element that's so prevalent in our society at the moment, it's restlessness. People always seem to be looking for something else. There's no sort of real stability. There's just this sense of a, an endless search of a new experience, of something that somehow or other will, will bring satisfaction to my life. And then I keep remembering that Rolling Stones song, which was so prevalent during my youth. It was such good English as well. I can't get no satisfaction. And it seems such a watchword for my generation and perhaps subsequent generations. Always on the search for something more and yet always finding something less than that which is required. So I asked myself the question this morning, Am I satisfied with a relationship with God which is eternal according to his promise? Am I satisfied with forgiveness for my sins and being brought into this fresh relationship which is never ending?
Am I satisfied with life eternal? Would, would I swap it? Would I change my life and lifestyle for something different and something new? Or does it bring me the ultimate and full satisfaction? Where are we this morning in our relationship with the Lord? And when he brings advice such as we have in verse 16 of chapter 6 of the book of Jeremiah, do we say, as the people in Jeremiah's time said, you said, we will not walk in it. We won't walk in it. We have decided already that we're going to take a new direction that we're going to walk in a new way. It's the fact that my future secure in God's hands is not sufficient for me because I'm looking for something fresh and something new. Where's the good way? Where's the good way? And then God goes on to say to them, I appointed watchmen over you and you said, listened and said, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. Now, the watchmen were there to give warning. That's self-evident. And whenever they gave warning, they blew a trumpet because a trumpet makes a, a certain sound. Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. So we're not going to stop. We're not going to look at our present direction. And we're not going to listen to the voice of God. What are we going to do? What's God going to do? If a people decide that they're going to somehow or other live lives without God, what's going to happen in the long term? What will it mean in the end? Well, continually through Jeremiah, from chapter 6 onwards, you have these stark warnings where Jeremiah speaks as God is speaking and says this, Therefore hear, O nations, and he calls upon the surrounding nations to witness. Observe, O witnesses, what will happen to them. What's going to happen to the Jews? Hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes. I want to say something that I thought about and I want to say it carefully. I believe the present trauma that we're experiencing in relation to the B word <coughs> is due to the fact that as a nation we've decided not to listen to God. We've decided not to have any time for him. We're not going to stop our present stupidities. We're going to continue to keep on keeping on. What's going to happen? I will bring disaster on this people. And it seems to me that we're right on the verge of that. And I see a lot of nods. Because there is a reality in the word of God that if, if we constantly ignore him and blatantly say we're not going to listen to him and we're not going to look at the direction which he provides, then we're going to go the way of disaster. And you will notice that this disaster is the fruit of their schemes. This is not a vindictiveness by God. This is the inevitable result of our own schemes coming to fruition. This is what we produce ourselves. 
And when we live lives that are without his direction, and we've decided we're not going to listen to him, then this is the inevitable result of our schemes. It's going to be thus. Because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law, the fruit of their own schemes will come home to roost, as we say back home. You see, there are only these two alternatives. We either find rest for our souls in the way that God decrees, or we reap the fruit of our schemes, which brings the sort of disaster which God outlines here because they've decided not to listen and have rejected my law. And he goes on to say, even though they continue to bring offerings, and please remember the Jews at this time were still bringing the offerings within their temple. They were still doing what they thought God wanted, but they had decided not to listen to him. They were still going through the motions. And God says to them, what do I care about incense from Sheba? Even the most expensive stuff you can provide or sweet calamus from a distant land. Because your burnt offerings are not acceptable and your sacrifices don't bring me pleasure. Because you're a people who have rejected my word and my ways. So we can go through the motions of acknowledging God and of saying, well, you know, I live a good life and I try to make um, this sort of obeisance to God. And God says, look, I'm not really interested. If you're not listening to my word and you're not responding to my direction and you're living according to your own thinking, then the disaster is going to come and disaster is going to follow. This whole business of finding rest, of finding peace for our souls, there's only one way to do it. The Lord Jesus said when he was here, a remarkable statement that he made, and it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know that, that peace that you've been searching for for so long? that sense of peace, that sense of fulfillment, that sense of, of rest. It's found only in Christ. Because he made peace, as the scripture says elsewhere, he made peace through the blood of his cross. And we find rest in him. And it's such a broad statement, this, you know, come unto me all ye that labor under heavy laden and I will give you rest. But it's such a narrow passage. Come on to me. There ain't no other way. We might think there are other ways to find real peace and real rest, but there aren't. And maybe you've tried them all before now, in the bottom of a bottle, in a needle, whatever. You find rest in Christ and in him alone. Because he's made peace. He's brought it into being through the blood of his cross. Jeremiah goes on to say in this passage, the Chaldeans are on the northern border. They're about to launch their attack upon the Jews. And you're blind to it. You're not stopping. You're not looking. You're not listening. 
sacrifice and offering are without reality and God's got no time for them. But you can find rest if you will return to the old ways. You can find rest and find it in Christ. Augustine, that great converted monk who was so blind to the ways of God in his early life, lived the life of a profligate. He was sitting in a garden one day and he was listening to kids playing next door. And there came to him this phrase, you will find rest for your soul. And there in the garden, he turned to God from his profligate way of life. And he said, later in his living, has he thought about this? Thou hast made us for thyself and our souls are restless till they find their rest in thee. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless till they find their rest in thee. Stop. Look. Listen. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts this morning. We pray that you will bring us back to yourself. Bring us that freshness of experience again, we pray. Help us to trust in you. Help us to find our rest in you. Help us not always to be looking for something new, but to find our peace in Christ. We commit ourselves to you this morning. In his holy name. Amen. Now we sing a song, Come, people of the risen King, who delight to bring him praise. Again, by Getty and Townend, and uh, I know it will be a blessing to you. Let's stand to sing, and then we'll say the grace together.
church, huh?